Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Welcome Phoenix Rising family. In this episode, we're turning it up a notch. From a scale of one to 10, this is an 11. If you ever watch a Phoenix Rising game on ESPN or even our local CW61, there's a good chance you'll hear commentary from Devin Kerr. Devin Kerr is the USL's lead analyst, and I don't know how it happened, but we were able to grab him the morning after Phoenix Rising's game against Tacoma Defiance to ask him about our team's performance in that game. Devin's analysis is second to none, and we are truly honored to have him on the show. Joining Devon on our panel is Kelly McCarthy with her unique and sometimes provocative insights. After our game roundup, stick around for our interview with Niall Dunn. At 16 years, he is the youngest player on the Phoenix Rising squad and by all accounts, an up and coming star. As usual, we have the league standings, looking at the highlights from each division, and then we'll wrap up with a preview of our next game. It's an away game, and it's our third game against Landon Donovan's San Diego Loyal. Without further ado, let's get Devin and Kelly on to talk about our last game. Saturday, June 12th, Phoenix Rising took on Tacoma Defiance. It was a home game for us. John McPherson on Twitter said, there's only one man that deserves man of the match for Phoenix. That's Ben Lunt. Without him, the scoreline would have been very, very different. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, John. We got off to a, a very unusual start. There was an, an, an illegal start, and I felt like the first 10 minutes was all about Phoenix. And then the next 10 minutes, it seemed to me that it was all about Tacoma Defiance. Then the goals started happening and it was a battle back and forth to the end. How about that illegal start? Devin, have you ever seen anything like that before? Never. I was actually a little grateful though, because truth be told, I had actually just ordered a pizza. No joke. I just ordered a pizza and the, I was, I don't eat late normally. And it gave me an opportunity to just literally hit the send button. I was waiting to hit the send button and I couldn't get everything in with the open. <laughs> but at the professional level, I, I promise you, I swear on my child that that is literally what happened. We had pizza at halftime. Um, I've never seen that at the professional level. I've seen it at the start of the second half. And of course, we've all seen it on restarts where the referee has to play the big dog and no, the ball's got to go here and slow down. But never at the beginning of game and, and never... Have I actually seen them enforce the rule where they've given it to the other team, called an indirect, and then gave them the ball? It was amazing. It was fun fantastic. We're going to remember that. Guys, we had three goals. The first one, it started with Flood when he had a vertical pass up to Kalistri. As Kalistri was being tackled, he slipped the ball to Solo, who was about four yards outside the box. With his right foot, he blasted it squarely into the top right corner. Kelly, talk to us about that goal. It was a beautiful goal. It was a great 
way to get on the scoreboard. You know, Devin was announcing last night and one of the announcers mentioned that we never lose after we score first or we haven't this season. So that was really nice to know. And it just made me feel more confident as we moved forward in terms of Asante's play. You know, one of the things that he's been amazing at, especially this season I've noticed is just like reading the game and knowing what role he needs to play. And he was far, you know, he's 25 yards out or something. And he just knew it was the right time to take a shot. He had all kinds of options and it was the right, the right call. I think it took the keeper by surprise. And it was just like, how do you hit the corner of the goal like that? I, I can't do it. It was lovely. Our second goal, it pretty much started with Santi Moore, who passed it to Rodriguez, who passed it on to Kelly. And it was Kelly's eye that was able to catch out Solo. Solo was even further out from the goal this time. He unleashed a shot. It deflected off one of the, the Tacoma Defiance players. The keeper couldn't respond in time, and it was a goal. Devon, talk us through that. Good buildup, for sure. You know, for a team that struggled heavily in the final third in the first half, I think people might turn their head at that, but we'll get to it. Um, Santi Moar, Asante, they, they specifically got better. The ability to understand that whether this is 100 miles an hour or at a topsy-turvy pace or, or just, you know, slow and steady tortoise in the hair type movement, you're going to have to fluctuate within that going forward. And, and Phoenix Rising started to figure that out in the second half where – the smaller movements, the rotation, everything was great. I did feel bad for Spencer Ritchie. I talked about this on air, how he had perfect positioning on the play. And sometimes that's the way this game goes, right? It's just, it's that little deflection. It's Lady Luck pokes her head out. The good back line situated in front of him. All the marking was great, but it's Solomon Asante. It's super solo. You know, the Ghanaian has done wondrous things for this club for multiple years now. So it's no surprise whatsoever, especially the way the night was going, that that was going to happen. You know, he pulled the trigger from distance, back of the net. It's beautiful. Absolutely. And he was heavily involved in the next goal. He was on the right side of the pitch. He picked out Moore, who was running up the left side. Moore, a beautiful one-touch with the outside of his foot to Tate Schmidt, who was on as a sub. He fought off two defenders, beats the goalie in close range. It was incredible. Kelly, over to you. Oh, what an exciting goal. I was so happy to see Schmidt. You know, he'd just been on the field for minutes, um, hometown guy and new to the team. So it was so exciting to see him get that goal. And as you mentioned, it was the beautiful, like, trap and pass, one touch from Moar. Selfless, we know he wanted seven and seven. And something I really noticed from Schmidt was just like how he forced himself back on, on side, you know, and he was really careful about that. And just his knowledge of where he was on the field made all the difference. You know, it's something we need to see, especially in Phoenix from our strikers and a beautiful work against that defense. So it was an awesome, exciting goal. I was so happy for him. Devon, are you expecting to see Tate Schmidt on the field for us again? It's a good question. Um, you know, he's a guy who he's asked to play multiple positions at the professional level and not exactly sure he's felt comfortable at any of them yet. What you saw last night in the game against Tacoma Defiance was a good depiction of where he's probably at his best and most comfortable. It's small little spaces in or around the top of the 18. You know, it's a kid who's second team All-American coming out of Louisville who was a nine. He was a 10. So whether he's been moved to marking back, wing back, what have you. They're testing him at center back now, progressing into the final third in combination play in, in small little units with 
you know, a boatload of people around him, to be honest, is where he's the best. And, and he gave you a glimpse of that last night. For Phoenix Rising, it's great to have him because of the depth. Because you can move him into an attacking midfielder type role, I think that could work within Rick Schantz's system. Also, Brian Flood, the left back position. You know, Flood has been great this year so far. But as the game come fast and furious, you're going to have the need, the want, the necessity, whatever word you wanted to use at that outside back position. He fills that role. You want to move him into that front line. He fills that role. So I would expect him to stay there for a little bit of time. I think it also depends on how long RSL are willing to let him stay away because with all the appearances he gained on the Real Monarchs in 2019, COVID or not, he was with Real Salt Lake the entire 2020 season. Didn't have a lot of appearances. I believe it was three bench appearances. So he fluctuated in between that gray area of too high of a level for the Monarchs, but wasn't breaking through into the 18. You got to see how that plays out now. Does his form continue with Phoenix Rising where he gets another opportunity or do they want to continue to give him the tutelage in this system so they can take advantage next year? Great. Guys, Tacoma Defiance did not get on the scoreboard last night, but I think we owe them a lot of respect. I think there were parts of the game that they played really well. They had some fantastic players. What do you think? Um, Devin, talk us through Tacoma Defiance. Did you like what you saw last night? Bits and pieces for sure. They started strong. You know, one of the most difficult things to do in this league is go on the road and then go on the road to Phoenix Rising, especially Wild Horse Pass now. And thought that, you know, you said it at the beginning. Now you nailed it. The opening 10 minutes were very shaky for Tacoma. Phoenix, high pressure, high intensity. One of the favorite quotes that I've ever gotten out of Rick Schantz, I believe it was towards the middle to end of the 2019 record-breaking season on that 20-win streak. And he said... Basically, the referee, blow the whistle, watch out, can hear it comes. And that's what you saw in the opening 10 minutes of this match. But then it started to settle down. Tacoma counterattacks in general with the best of them. They have to navigate, excuse me, a lot of variables where it's rotating pieces, rotating um, formations. They did that. You know, this team primarily played in a 4-3-3 the first couple matches. They've switched into a three-back style system. And I thought that they countered well, but Phoenix also gave them that space. You know, the back line didn't shift very well. Darnell King pushed high. He tried to attack alongside Solomon Asante. We saw a couple buildups there in the first half. But he doesn't always track back, and that's not the end of the world. But Joey Farrell didn't recognize the space to his right, so he didn't pinch over, which made it really easy for Jimmy Madronda to just push through. So I think it's easy to give Tacoma a lot of the credit. But to be fair, and Rick Schantz talked to us about this at halftime, that was self-recognition or lack thereof for Phoenix Rising, where they didn't pinch over. Ryan Flood was doing it on the left with pinched back Dabalieri on the right, but they weren't doing it on the right for Phoenix Rising. So it's a three and a four that have this sort of horseshoe-like shape that's always ever present. The problem was, is as they pinched on the right, they didn't slide back over. So King would go and they would sit and it was easy for them to attack. Notice that in terms of the actual buildup, there were a lot of balls up over the top. They weren't really utilizing the likes of Levo or Kitahara in the midfield. Great. Kelly, we're going to see Tacoma Defiance three more times. Um, what do you see happening with those those next games? Um, hard to say. I certainly see us winning. I'm hopeful that we'll win. Um, and I think Devin's given us a lot to think about. And I'm sure, you know, Rick was observing the game in the same way. We saw that in the second half, some adjustments that they made that they were really struggling, especially with that back line. And as, De as Devin's describing, kind of slotting over. 
Um, so yeah, I think they'll need to do more of the same. And I think I don't have the answers to this, but I think they need to figure something out in the midfield. And I know we'll probably get there and talk a little bit about that. And I'll lean on Devin to find out what was happening, but I feel like when there were 50 fifties in general, our midfield really wasn't, wasn't winning those and wasn't controlling the game. It wasn't controlling the distribution the way we wanted them to. Um, so I want to say they were beating us in the midfield. Again, I'll look to Devin for more explanation on that. And if I'm correct, but that would be an adjustment. Maybe we reorganize our midfields for a game against them or just kind of improve from what we learned last night. Okay. So Rick put out a 4-3-3 formation last night. Ben Lunt, Lunt was between the sticks. Ryan Flood, left full back. Darnell King, right full back. And in the center, we had Joey Farrell and James Musa. How did our back line do last night, Devin? <laughs> I'm going to get fired for this one. I joked about that ahead of time. <laughs> it was poor. It's simple enough. It, it, was, it was bad. It's... Phoenix has a problem. They have they have a problem where it's it's not the same as 2020 where and I've talked to you guys about this before where you know they they moved one player to put band-aids on a problem and just it became this waterfall effect of let's fix this, let's fix that. I think Joey Farrell is an excellent squad player for this team. I don't think he's in the starting 11. Um the James Musa project is yet to be seen. Fantastic player that could be a starter and possibly even USL best 11 if you move him in the midfield, but you keep him on the back line and does that play out? I actually think it could play out if you played in a three. Now, that's a whole nother conversation, right? But uh, center backs are the main issue here. Ryan Flood and Darnell King are just fine on their own. But again, if if King goes high and whether it's Joey Farrell or Adewale, whatever the combination of the back line is, if one attacker goes high in transition, there has to be proper balance. And you haven't really seen that all season long, respectfully. And so I think it's fair to point out individuals from last night's performance, but that's not. You shouldn't do that. You should look at this as a big picture where just as you go with King on the right, flood on the left, the balance hasn't been there always on the left either, where Musa has to slide or, or Farrell has to slide or Adewale and. So figuring out the correct combination is one thing. Figuring out which side to put them on as well, because Adewale and Musa have flip-flopped. So that's the main issue here. Kelly, you talked about the midfield a little bit. I don't disagree by any means, but this all starts from the back. And that's the shape shifter, if you will, because where the tempo starts from there, whether it's quick or slow, whether you're knocking a 40-yard ball or a five-yard pass, that all starts in the distribution, a lot of times out of James Musa, but specifically on the back line. And it's off kilter. You saw it poke its head out in a really negative form last night, especially in the first half where there was bad form defensively because the shape was off. The midfield was struggling. John Baccaro, I don't mind this look, but at certain points in time was tucking over next to Joey Farrell. And it's, it's easy to think, wow, that's great distribution. I even pinpointed out on the broadcast. It's good for him to drop there because it unbalances the other team. The problem is this is all about balance. That's the key word you want to focus on. There has to be an equilibrium here where if Baccaro comes out of the midfield, who occupies that space? That's a two-pronged question. Can be a Phoenix Rising player. Can be a Tacoma Defiance player. Tacoma's going to want to knock that space down if a player steps in. Tacoma can also knock that space down so that now you've eliminated the option to move through. You've eliminated last night for Kalistri or Kelly to step in there. 
But that's not what was happening for either team. No one was stepping for Phoenix. Phoenix wasn't pressing that area. So Tacoma just sat back and took it. That's why there wasn't a lot of distribution coming into the final third. And if it was, it was on the outside. So it, the, the problem starts from the back line. And, and it's been an issue for quite some time now. I mean, I can tell you behind the scenes, I know for a fact that it's, it, they know it's a problem. Let's get that out of the way. And we'll just leave it at that. They know it's a problem and they're trying to figure out the best way to solve it. Okay, let's move to our midfield. Obviously, we were without two key players, Aiden Quinn and Kev Lambert last night. So in the first half, our midfield was Joey Calistri, Jeremy Kelly, and John Beccaro. So how did that squad do? Kelly, what are your thoughts on the Calistri, Kelly, Beccaro combination? I don't love it. And, you know, part of that just comes to my own tactical ignorance. I'm not sure what they should be doing and how they're supposed to be working together, but it doesn't seem to be working together for me. Um, I'm watching 20 minutes of the game and I'm going, who else is in the midfield? I thought Vaccaro was very active last night. <laughs> Sorry, I've got some noise behind me. Come back to me, okay? Bring it. Tell them to buy you drinks. Tell them to buy you drinks. They're, That's they're not cool. taking towels. Get them involved on this. Tell them. Bring them. Sorry. I'd like a pina colada daiquiri mix, please. Aisle so, four with a all floater. Right, now you've exposed me for not being in my studio that I don't have. I'm at the pool. Yeah, so I, I would like to see more clearly what the game plan is in the midfield. I thought Becaro was working really hard. Um, now I hear from Devin kind of what Becaro was up to. But, yeah, in terms of Kelly and Kalistri, what should they be doing? I'm not sure, but I'm not seeing it. Okay. In the second half, it was a little different. Uh, Tate Schmidt was there for a lot of the time. Then Jerry, Jeremy Kelly was there most of the time. And um, Arturo Rodriguez came on for Becaro. So in the second half, let's talk about the, the midfield in the second half. And Kelly, I'm going to go back to you on this. Tate Schmidt, Jeremy Kelly, Arturo Rodriguez. How did you like that combination? Well, it shed a little light on me. You know, I think Picaro knew that he was going to be subbed out in the second half. That's how it felt to me when I realized that Arturo Rodriguez came in for him. I was like, oh, that explains that work rate. But, um, you know, Arturo, especially having heard some interviews with him throughout the week, like, you know, I like his style. I like how much of a playmaker he really is. He just feels high energy. Normally, that's what I expect from Calistri. Um, But yeah, his distribution was nice. His selfless play. He was involved in some goals. So I wouldn't say that I necessarily felt like the midfield was all that more effective, but I enjoyed, you know, the eyes I had on Rodriguez and I'm working on a nickname for him. A-Rod's already taken. So open to any other suggestions. <laughs> all right. There's an open call out to our listeners. So Devin, over to you the, in the midfield. So just to, to recap, we had Kulistri, we had Schmidt, we had Kelly, we had Becaro, we had Rodriguez and Adewale was on for the last few minutes. So talk to us about our midfield. Kelly's right on it. So the starting three between Kelly, Kalistri, and Becaro didn't have an identity. Joey Kalistri was extremely efficient on the ball, and he always is, but he's not a game changer. And I'm not talking about the goals at the end of the game that we highlighted and, you know, most recently what he did against San Diego Loyal, but he can be, he's a supplementing force. And that's all it's ever going to be. There's nothing wrong with that. You need those players. You need the character and, and the opportunity to help you but he's not going to be the guiding light. John Beccaro was searching for something last night. And it's easy to think, okay, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to try and unbalance a team. I just talked about that at a second ago. The other part of that is, though, is that you have to have the understanding of who is around you. Kelly and Kalistri, them being in there, 
it's always going to be Baccaro extending this into the final third. Always, 100%. And even though I don't think we've seen the best of John Baccaro for quite some time, he can still provide you that option. And so what happened was, is you had a lack of presence in that midfield where it was being bypassed on the exterior. And you saw a little bit of Santi Moore on the first half for sure. But most of that came via Ryan Flood or the combination between the two. It wasn't coming directly through route one. And as the second half went on, Kelly talked about it. I like the change of Arturo Rodriguez. That gives you that presence in the 10 type spot. That started to make Tacoma Defiance tweak itself a little bit because now you've got Rodriguez stepping a higher line, which makes the midfield adjust, which now operates more space underneath. That allows the simple balls for Jeremy Kelly and Kalistri to usher this attack side to side or even the little balls going forward. We didn't see that in the first half. And whether it's this game or previous games, you've been able to get away with it. Speaking about Phoenix rising at certain points in time, because when guys like Lambert and Quinn are in there, they give you the understanding that every space has to be occupied in some way, shape, or form. And I want to be very clear here to the listeners. I'm not saying an actual physical body. I'm saying that space has to be accounted for. So, for instance, if the ball's moving from the right channel and it's coming to the left, as a holding midfielder, I'm immediately surveying my options, okay? Let's, let's talk about the fact that Lambert's playing that role instead. He's going to look to his left. He's going to look behind him. He's going to look in front of him. All of this is happening before the ball has even left the foot of King or Asante to come back to the inside. The minute the ball comes in, he needs to know where those options are. If he doesn't have an actual physical player there, can he occupy that space himself and attack that space? That's something that Phoenix Rising has worked heavily on with him over the past couple of seasons, and he's gotten great about it. Think about Mark Anthony Kay. And if you didn't see him at Louisville, he does a tremendous job at LAFC where he can occupy a deep lying space or that eight type role, but then also provide you that glimpse into the next level. Breaking lines is the word that people like to hear, right? And so what you didn't have was that last night. So the ball would come from one side. It couldn't even go flat. You would have to go back. And when that space isn't occupied, it's a very scary thing because you expect it to be somewhere. And even the second and third option didn't provide those opportunities. So the attack was flat. The buildup was flat. The ideology of this team in general had ceased to exist. And so you need players like Quinn and Lambert to always be on the field. Rodriguez is quickly making a name for himself within this team. Do not be surprised in the next two matches if he's in the starting 11. Understand that. He is that good, number one. And number two, he understands this system. And when other players aren't playing up to par, that's a scary look for Rodriguez right now. Because if Lambert comes in, now you've got three guys all willing to put in the dirty work, high energy. They'll play the six, they'll play the eight, they'll play the 10. All three of them have specific roles, of course, that you would like them to fulfill, but they can give you anything you want. The midfield trio last night did not give you those options. Let's move and look at our forwards. Kelsey Steele likes to refer to our three um, forwards as the terrifying trio. It was Santi Moore, Rufat Dadashoff in the middle, and Solomon Asante on the right. Kelly, did they deserve that, that title last night as the terrifying trio? Yes, they did. And I'm hesitating because I think Devin talked about something that's really opening my eyes and was really interesting. You know, obviously they can only be as good as when they have the ball. So they need that. It's important their movement off the ball, making themselves available. Um, they might've suffered a little bit there last night, but they also weren't getting the distribution that they needed. And that said, um, certainly 
uh, Asante and Santi were very dangerous every time they had the ball. You know, Santi, now I'm going to get him switched. I was just thinking their names are so close. Um, Solomon was just so clever and he has been. He's just been, just been playing so smart. Um, and Santi Moar was so hungry, you know, so I think they were really dangerous and that's terrifying. That's got to be terrifying. Um, when you're, when you're facing them from the other team, you know, Dadashov, I'm actually curious what Devin thinks about him. Um, you know, I've, I think Phoenix rising fans as well as probably the coaching staff have been a little disappointed with his, how he's showing up this year. And I'm kind of curious, I'm starting to think, and I'm wondering if maybe he's a little out of shape. Um, I mentioned last week, and I think you cut it, Niall, and maybe you will again, that I think I see him playing lazy. And so so he's not part of the terrifying trio for me right now. Uh, talk us out, Devon, on your thoughts on the forwards. And should we be concerned um, about Rufat Dadashov's presence or lack of presence in that front three? Kelly, quit doing my job. What the heck? Seriously, this is insane. I, I'm supposed to be a guest and you're doing my job for me. No, you 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 hit the nail on the head. So I would say about Rufat Dadashov, from a physical standpoint, I don't know if he's out of shape. You, you might not be wrong. I want to be clear here. You might not be wrong. I would say mentally he's out of shape. If you watch his movements, you're right. He's lazy. And one of the things that became so prevalent in his tenure in his first season was his ability to do a couple of things up top one hold up play. It's the same thing you saw out of Drogba out of Chris Cortez, of course, Adam John, his ability to allow Phoenix rising to knock a long ball and play off of him. The aerial threat of course is great, but more importantly, his ability to drop down into the pocket and help out. We haven't seen that a lot this year. So it's confusion mentally. He looks fatigued and a lot of his timing is then disrupted. So I believe it was three times, maybe four, but a definitive three times last night where he got caught in an offside position that should not have been. He could have easily have timed it right. One of which I called out and I said, Taylor Mueller, the center back and, you know, kind of how that tactically played out. But still, he had plenty of opportunities, plural, more than that, to get it right. And he hasn't done that. I'm not concerned about the front three because Kelly talked about it. You're only as good as your weakest link. I apologize. My phone is ringing in the background and it's far away from me. I'm so sorry about that. Um, oh, we need some background music anyway. Right? There you go. The dog just looked up and goes, I'm napping and <laughs> you're allowing this to ring. Oh, it's Mike Watts. What do you know? Um, <laughs> voicemail. Just kidding. Um, the laziness affects everyone. So if he, I just talked about the space a second ago, right? And, and occupying it. If he doesn't check in, you don't have that option. Now you've pretty much branched yourself into two, which means you have to go to the wide. Is it a diagonal ball? Is it ball and defeat? Kelly said it perfectly that if you don't play into them, if we don't give them opportunities, they can't be great. And Rick Sean said at halftime, we can't be afraid. You know, referencing his squad, Phoenix Rising cannot be afraid. That starts from... Long balls out of the back from Ben Lute, James Musa willing to knock one, Ryan Flood attacking, and then, you know, finding Dadashov in the pocket. If you don't give them opportunities, they can only do so much. And about 10 minutes ago, I said, look, like I'm criticizing them and they, they deserve some of it for sure. But there are eight other guys on the field. We still play with 11, right? There's eight other guys. Yeah. Okay. Um, there are eight other guys on the field. And Kelly, I want to go back to one other point to sum it up which I didn't knock, I didn't remark on. And I think it was a fantastic read by you is 
you kind of talked about their work rate and the grit down in the, by the midfielders or lack thereof. 16 players took the field last night for Phoenix Rising. Nine of them either did not win a single tackle or were on the losing end of more than half of their tackles. Let that sink in for a second. Nine of them, more than half of your team couldn't be on the better part of a 50-50 ball. I don't care other statistics on the field. I don't care if you get out-possessed, out-shot. You should never get outworked. And a lot of areas that happened last night. So this snowball effect of, boom, you get hit, and this rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls. It affected every single player on the pitch last night. And it's not the first time we've seen it. Now, Phoenix Rising has understood where some of those problem areas are, and they've gotten better for it, of course. But by no means is this a finished product. And last night, Rick's going to be concerned coming out of that game, 100%. Because for the scheduling against Tacoma Defiance, obviously all the other teams matter as well. The next time you guys play Tacoma Defiance, you're going to be sandwiched in between Orange County and Los Dos. Not an easy game. Tacoma, Los Dos, and Orange County Orange County on the backside are going to be on the road. That's that's not easy. And the other ones, you have back-to-back home games against Sacramento and New Mexico United. Again, sandwiched with low stos on the end. Work rate is going to be a key factor here. Those young kids from Tacoma, of course, the MLS guys as well, they don't care. They don't give a you-know-what. There's a bigger picture from them. All of the two teams will always find a way to outwork you. And that happened in a lot of areas last night. And Devin, is that overconfidence on the part of Phoenix Rising? Is that why that's happening? Because it's not a fitness issue, is it? It's a really good question. It's a couple of things. Can it be overconfidence? It can be. I don't necessarily think it was last night. Maybe certain areas. You talked about Dadashov being lazy up top. I agreed with you. I thought the back line was lazy too. It's not that hard to figure out what's going on. Trust me. It's not that hard. It's not that hard to figure out. I got to slide over to the right. I got to slide over to the left. That's communication. So again, I can pick out Joey Farrell. I can pick out James Musa. Maybe Darnell should have tracked back a little bit more. I don't think he should have, but you can pick out all those things. But every guy on that field wearing a Phoenix Rising jersey has a voice. I could hear it coming from the sideline. You could hear the direction coming. You just have to be responsive, and they weren't. Sorry, Niall, one more question for Devin on that topic. So do you think our rotation of keepers could play into that? Because I know so much communication historically comes from the keeper. That's a really good, that's a, you know, you, you make a good point and it's a really good question. Knowing the two individuals without being in the environment, I haven't, I haven't been on ground level with this group since the new goalkeepers come in. Without being there, I would say no. The only reason is because of my experience with these guys firsthand in the past. It's a great question that I would definitely bring up to the organization for sure. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll even say it. I'll, I'll do you one better. I'll bring it up to Rick in the next conference call for the next match. And, you know, I'll give you guys a shout in and we'll bring it up on air. Knowing both of them, they're excellent at communication. Is it possible that that happened? Of course it is. Anything's possible. So I don't disagree with that. Um, I would I would be hesitant to say yes, though, knowing them. But again, who knows at this point, you know? Great. We've got so many more questions. There's so much to talk about. And this team definitely we're not seeing a finished product right now. So it's going to be a fantastic season. It's going to be a tough month ahead for us. Um, And Kelly, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for your contributions. Thanks for having me. And Devin, thank you so much for joining us. 
Always a pleasure. Anytime. Kelly, where's my drink? <laughs> it's, I'm still waiting on him, wheeling it over. Oh, can't find a good help these days. Niall Dunn, welcome to the fan experience. I'm curious, as a center back, what defensive formation do you prefer? Do you like three at the back? where you're the lone defender in front of the goalie, or do you prefer to have a teammate back there with you? So I think it's best to start with a four in the back, just to give yourself security of three other people to help you and just keep that confidence confidence in between each other, just so you know you don't, you don't need to make stupid passes or try to give the ball away when you can just make the simple pass and just keep possession. Then if, say, later in game you're down by a goal, and you need to get forward, that's when you go into the three back. And I think that's when, as the three, you can start finding those long balls and trying to make those harder passes to help your team. But out of both of them, I'd say my favorite's the four on the back just because I I like the, the feeling of when I know I can make a pass and then I'll have my teammates to back me up in case something were to go wrong compared to being a three back. I would have, I'd make a pass. I'd like two others, which they could easily counterattack that. Niall, who are your favorite teams? Um, my favorite teams are Seattle Sounders, Manchester United, and the U.S. Men's National Team. And what about favorite players? Since I'm a center back, my favorite players are actually center backs as well. So I'd say my top two are Harry Maguire and Sergio Ramos. And then a third one I would add would be Ruben Diaz on Manchester City just because of how young he is and how successful he's been. Great. Niall, please talk us through what it was like to get to get signed for Phoenix Rising. Um, it was an honor to be able to sign with them. It was around February during a training session with my academy team. Rick Shantz came out to one of the sessions and invited me to come train with the pro team and play some of their preseason games. Um, so after my first experience with them, I was able to get into about 15 minutes of game time against Sporting KC. And ever since then, I just, I was invited back to train and thankfully towards the end of the preseason, after playing against more MLS teams and USL teams, um, Rick and Bobby Dooley were able to provide me with a, an academy contract, which I'm very thankful because it gives me an opportunity to keep improving and hopefully inspiring others to do the same, to keep working hard, to hopefully maintain their goals. Talk us through a day in the life of Niall Dunn. Let's let's take you back to, to high school when soccer season in, is in full swing. You get up in the morning, have your breakfast, and then you're balancing school and soccer. So let's start there. Talk us through a day in the life. Yeah, I wake up, eat breakfast, get ready for school. I would go to school for the six and a half, seven hours that it would normally be. And then for high school season, it would be trainings every day, usually games on a Tuesday and Thursday or a uh, Wednesday, Friday. So every other day would be training session and meet after school, train, and then go home, I would complete homework and then get for bed the next day. Then on game days, it would be same thing, wake up in the morning, go to school. And then after school, I'd start preparing for game time. Then we'd go watch JV play and then we'd play a varsity game. 
And after if usually one, we only lost two games that whole season. We would celebrate and then we'd go out to eat and then we would go home and then just carry for the next day. Do it all over again. Okay, contrast. What what's your life like right now? Uh, right now it's wake up in the morning, go to training with pro team and get it done around afternoon. And then I'm now on Primavera Online High School. So I would get home, complete my hours. It's about six hours a day of schoolwork in the afternoons or after the afternoon, I would in the evenings get free time and just time to relax and prepare myself for the next day and do some recovery. What are your ultimate goals as far as being an athlete? As an athlete, I want to one day sign a professional contract and hopefully that would lead to being scouted by maybe a bigger team and maybe in the MLS or maybe in Europe. So my main goal is to play for a team in Europe and then hopefully one day play in the Champions League and win major tournaments. Let's talk about motivation. When things get tough, what do you do to motivate yourself? Whether it's on the pitch when what you do in the next 10 minutes really counts for the team or just in, in nor- the, nor- the run of a normal day when things don't go your way. What do you do to motivate yourself? It'd actually be both on the field and off the field. If whenever I'm frustrated, I just take a deep breath, relax, and try and make things see- simpler. Is that a word? Easier. We'll say say easier. Um, I would say on the field, instead of trying to take out my frustration and try and play an amazing pass, I would calm it down, play an easy pass, calm the game down, slow it down, and off the field, um, when I'm frustrated, I just relax, do something that would take my mind off what's frustrating me, and then get back to work and Try and stay calm. Things have worked out well for you on the pitch in the last 10 years or so. You've made it to a level that a lot of players your age are trying to get there, get to. Think back 10 years ago to that six-year-old Niall Dunn. So what advice to you, the 16-year-old Niall Dunn, what advice would you give that six-year-old? Um, something I would give to my six-year-old self would have been to just keep working hard because when things are getting tough, you'd want to keep working no matter what, because in the end, it will all be worth it. And just the amount of work and effort you put in will benefit yourself. And hopefully it will make yourself a better soccer player than what you think you are right now. It will just continue to improve your game. Okay, looking into the future in 10 years time, Niall, you'll be 26 years old, older than some of your current idols and mentors. What advice do you have for that 26-year-old Niall Dunn? Um, I would say the same thing. It's continue to work hard. If I'm getting older, then there'll be maybe some injuries that I go through. I would say just keep keeping yourself healthy because you don't want to be out forced due to injury. You want to be able to keep playing games with your full potential. So I don't want to be missing games due to injury or potentially have to retire because of injury. That's the worst thing that could possibly happen there. On a fun note, hairstyles are obviously a big deal for soccer players. Niall, Besides Kevin Lambert, and besides yourself, who has the best hair in soccer? Um, I would say just one person in general would be Mason Mount on Chelsea after watching him against Manchester City in the Champions League final. His haircut is just clean. It's simple. And to be honest, during games and watching games, I think it's better to 
focus on the game and nothing to do with appearance. Great answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Niall Dunn. We wish you every success. We'll be following your career and we look forward to having you back here on The Fan Experience. Thank you, Niall. Thank you so much. Phoenix friends, rising fans, this is Kelly McCarthy here to discuss the USL Championship League standings as we close out week eight. And what a fun week it was. Despite our hopes and prayers, the Tampa Bay Rowdies are still on top of the Atlantic Division and are still holding the most points in the league with 18 after seven games. Charlotte Independence has moved up and into the number two spot after beating Hartford Athletic this weekend. Charlotte are the team to watch after beating the Rowdies last weekend and then delivering Hartford their first defeat of the season. And what a game that was. Devin Kerr and Mike Watts had a ton of fun calling that game with four goals scored in a 10-minute span. After that loss, Hartford are still sitting pretty in the number three spot with three games in hand. Miami FC are fourth in the Atlantic Division. Birmingham Legion FC are smoking the competition so far in the Central Division after another win this weekend against OKC Energy. The Legion's only loss so far this season has been against San Antonio, who they played in an interconference match back in May. Atlanta United, too, are sitting at number two in the division, followed by Louisville City FC, who came back from two straight losses to win against Memphis 901. Indy 11th are fourth in the table with 10 points after their seventh game this weekend. So let's take a look at the Western Conference starting with the Mountain Division. Rio Grande Valley FC are the top dogs. They secured three points against the Real Monarchs this weekend. That gives them 16 points after seven matches. The rest of the teams in the Mountain Division spent the weekend fighting for one point, with three games ending in draws, including San Antonio FC's match, which ended in a 1-1 tie against the Las Vegas Lights in an interdivision matchup. El Paso is currently holding the number two seat, followed by New Mexico United, and then San Antonio. We have great news coming out of the Pacific Division this week where Phoenix Rising picked up three points against Tacoma Defiance for a total of 16 points after their seventh match of the season. LA Galaxy are still los dos in the standing, even after suffering a loss to San Diego Loyal this weekend. Two words for you all. Uh-oh. The Loyals are figuring it out and some of us are getting a little nervous. Side note, Niall and I are in San Diego right now, and there were actual and literal fireworks after that game. Lord help me if they set those off next weekend when Phoenix Rising are in town. Back to the standings. Orange County are in the third seat, followed by those San Diego Loyals. Folks, the lights are still, in, are still last in the table, but are picking up some momentum themselves after a win last weekend and a draw this weekend, which I mentioned earlier was against San Antonio FC. Cal Jennings buried a sweet little penalty kick to tie that match up. We have a full and exciting week nine to look forward to. There are several games during this week, including eight matches on Wednesday, June 16th. Of course, the big matchup for Phoenix Rising fans comes on Saturday, June 19th against San Diego. Dear friends, rest assured, Niall and I will do our best to help secure a victory as we will be here in California repping Phoenix fans near and far. Does anyone know where we can get some fireworks? I think we'll be needing them.
Greetings from San Diego, Phoenix Rising family. I'm here for our next game on Saturday, June 19th, and I don't need to tell you that it's an away game against San Diego Loro. This will be the third time the teams will meet, but the first time the teams clash in Torero Stadium, San Diego Loyal's home pitch. In our last two games against San Diego, we started by beating them 4-1, then followed that up with a 2-0 draw. So, needless to say, they are improving. Improving dramatically. We'll see if they're figuring out Rick Shantz's system. Figuring out how to stop our attack, get the upper hand in the midfield, and take advantage of whatever weaknesses we might need to fix on the back line. Hopefully we don't have any weakness. And hopefully San Diego won't figure out a way around Rick's tactics. Since the 2-0 draw on June 5th, we had one home game where we beat Tacoma Defiance 3-0. San Diego have had two games, away to Orange County where they drew 1-0 and a home game against Los Dos LA Galaxy 2 where San Diego were victorious, winning 2-1. As it stands, Phoenix have played seven games and San Diego have played eight. Some punters would put Phoenix as the strong favourites, as we have a 71% win rate compared to San Diego Loyal's 25% win rate. However, there are three things that Alan Underwood at the Fairweather podcast will be reminding his San Diego Loyal listeners of this week, and they are, number one, San Diego is unbeaten at home. Number two, San Diego have had a much more difficult start to the season as six of their games were away games compared to Phoenix who only had two away games. Number three, the roster. Both Phoenix and San Diego have brought on new players since the first few games of the season, but San Diego have had dramatic changes with the new midfielder Miguel Ibarra and the forward Miguel Berry who is fast becoming a goal-scoring machine. These two acquisitions are game changers for any team in this league and both of these players are proving to be exactly that for San Diego as the two Miguels were key to the successes that San Diego Loyal has recently enjoyed. With all of that in mind, San Diego unbeaten at home, San Diego having a very difficult start to the season and getting a huge roster upgrade, I'm predicting a very difficult match. I believe Phoenix Rising will win 2-0, but that's assuming that Aiden Quinn will be back in the midfield for us, and it's very much dependent upon how we can keep these seven San Diego players off the scoreboard. Miguel Berry, Alejandro Guido, Jack Blake, Ben Spencer, Tumi Moshobane, Corey Herzog, and Jack Metcalf. All of these players have had at least one goal so far this season, and they're hungry for more bragging rights against their biggest rivals, Phoenix Rising. And that's it, Phoenix Rising family. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our special guests, Devin Kerr, Niall Dunn, Kelly McCarthy, and hey, Sam Healy, thank you for the music. Phoenix Rising family, I can't wait to see you in San Diego.